Turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Begin reading at verse 42 through 52. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it, And judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Behold, we turn to the Gentiles. So the Lord has commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles. That that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many had been appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up devout and prominent women and chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Junior Church. Quarter to twelve. We're not going to get out of here by noon. I want you to know that. This message isn't going to be fifteen minutes long. Um, I was reading Nehemiah again recently, and um, if you've ever read Nehemiah, if you haven't, if you have, you're familiar. If not, Nehemiah. His, his heart is, is longing for news of what's going on in Jerusalem with the people of God, and he asks about them, and he finds out that the wall is torn down and the people are in distress, and he has a desire to go back. And uh, the king, Artaxerxes, I believe, gives him the okay to go back. And he goes back, and he starts a building project. That's what he starts, a building project, okay? Uh, and not only does he start a building project, though, a physical building project to rebuild the walls, he also... You know, it takes 52 days. And then for seven months, he brings the people uh, back to Jerusalem. And there's a whole list of the people that come back. But after that, after all the people are there and the building project is done, there's another building project. And it's a spiritual building project. And that begins with Ezra standing up and reading from the word of the Lord. Standing up, And the people respond to the reading of the word of the Lord. This morning's message is about just that, responding to the word of the Lord. We have it before us. Patrick has read these verses. We're going to look at some verses before that as well. 
Um, before I go any further, you know what we're going to be talking about this morning. Let me open with a word of prayer, okay? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. Help us to respond to it as Jordan has prayed. Father, thank you for those songs that we got to sing in praise to Jesus, our great Savior. Thank you for those that are gifted in music. Thank you for the reading of your word. Thank you for the missions moment. Thank you for Operation Christmas Child and the work they do in, in, in taking the gospel to, to kids that really desperately need to hear it, Lord. What an opportunity we have to be a part of that, Father. Thank you for that opportunity. Bless us as we do that. Father, bless our time in your word this morning. Keep, you, keep me from saying anything I should not say. May you be pleased with what's proclaimed in our response to it. And as has been prayed as well, I'll pray again. Father, help us to be active listeners. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're called to do a certain job, I've had a few jobs in my life. I worked construction for a little while. Um, I was a dairy farmer. I worked on dairy farms. I had a little farm of my own. Um, I drive truck right now. I'm standing up here. I'm preaching. <laughs> I've had a few different jobs. Um, but when you have a job, I mean, you've all got different jobs. Maybe you're a school teacher or a concrete worker. You have different jobs. There may be secondary tasks that enable that job to get done, hey? But it's the thing itself that needs to get done. If you're a school teacher, you might have books and, and um, paper and pencils, and, but it's the teaching that needs to happen, right? That's the thing that needs to get done. I'm a truck driver. What needs to get done is I need to deliver a product from point A to point B. That's the thing that needs to get done. There's, there's lots of things that go along with that. If you're poor concrete, the thing that needs to get done is the concrete needs to be poured and cured and flat. That's the thing that needs to get done. There's lots of things that need to get done, but the main thing is the main thing that needs to get done. All those other things are incidental. Those other things are the means to or the incidentals necessary to get the job done. Successful companies awful, often, not awful, successful companies have often, often boiled their mission statement down to just one statement. You know, um, I think Walmart's statement is worldwide leader in retail. They boil it down to just one statement. In Acts 13, and that's where we're going to be this morning. I don't think we'll go outside of the, the book of Acts chapter 13 at all. If you'd open your Bibles at Acts 13 and verse 2, the Holy Spirit has something to say, and he says this, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. God had a work for them to do. And as we begin to read in Acts 13, we see them engaged in that work. They may not have been able to fully articulate what it was going to be like as they headed out to do that work. In a lot of ways, they stepped out in faith. Hey? They didn't know what boat they'd be on. They didn't know what cities they'd arrive at. They didn't know what reception they would receive. In a lot of ways, they were stepping out in faith. But Paul knew that he was going to be a witness for Jesus. He was told that. He knew that he would be proclaiming him to Jews and to Gentiles. He was told that. And he was told that there was going to be some suffering involved. It wasn't going to be easy. He knew that too. He's told that the Jews would not accept the testimony and that he would be sent to the Gentiles. He's told that in advance. And it gets me to thinking about what would Paul's mission statement be? Hey? If Paul was to have a business card and he came into a new town and he was going to hand that to someone, 
What would be on that card? Any, any thoughts there? I came up with a couple. Maybe it would be this. We proclaim Him. In Colossians 1.28, Paul, Paul pens that. We proclaim Him. That might be on his just a simple card. We proclaim Him. Or how about this one? From 1 Corinthians 2.2, maybe he would take a, an excerpt from that and say, we preach Christ and Him crucified. That's a statement, right? That, that would kind of sum up Paul's ministry, wouldn't it? We preach Christ and Him crucified. Or maybe from Ephesians 3.7 on that card, it might say, a servant of the gospel. A servant of the gospel. Or maybe Romans 15.19, his desire was to fully proclaim the gospel. The gospel in its fullness and to everyone that he was supposed to. To fully proclaim the gospel. Or maybe from Acts 20, verse 27, declaring the whole counsel of God. That might be his mission statement. I am here to proclaim, or to declare, to declare rather, the whole counsel of God. That's my mission statement. However, Paul might term that, and you might have some thoughts of your own. It's just a fun kind of an exercise here. With regard to Paul and Barnabas here, though, in Acts 13, it is a ministry of the word of the Lord. And Luke is making that very clear to us. He's our author. He's the one that's inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's making it known to his reader that this is a ministry of the Word of God. That's what it is. Just in these verses that Patrick has read for us, verses 42 through 52, look, look at how often it's mentioned. Just verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them. What, well, what things? The word of the Lord that they spoke to him just then. Those things. Those things. And then in verse 44, the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. They had a ministry of the word. Back in 13.5, I'm going backwards now, when they reached Salam, Salamis, sounds like Salami, I don't know how to pronounce that town, they began to proclaim the word of God. This was what they did. They proclaimed the word of God. That's what they were involved with. Later on, Paul is going to write a letter to Timothy, who's a young pastor, and he's going to say to him, I think it's in 2 Timothy 4, forget what verse. He says to Timothy, though, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. It doesn't matter if people are wanting to hear it, or hear it or if it's in favor or not in favor, Timothy. You preach the Word. That's what he says. When it comes to preaching the Word and our response to it, there's no neutral ground. Eh? I'm about to preach a message. And I'm saying to you, well, the words I say aren't the Word of God. This is the Word of God, Right? But when it comes to the preaching of the Word of God, there's no neutral ground. When it comes to the Word of the Lord, there's no neutral ground. You have to make a decision. You have to land somewhere. You have to respond to it. The preaching of the Word calls for or demands a response. And that's what I want to talk about today, responding to the Word of God, or some reasons why our response to the Word of the Lord is a response to God Himself. Our response to the Word of God 
is a response to God himself. Your response to the word of God is your response to God himself. If you come to the word of God and you hear it read and you think, yeah, that's fine, that's for someone else, you're responding to God. You're saying to God, no, that's fine, God, that's for someone else. If you come to the word of God and you hear it read or hear it preached and you say, I think that's for me. I think God is speaking to me. What are you doing there? You're responding to what God has said. Your response to the Word of God, my response to the Word of God is my response to God Himself. Now, that's a simple thing to say, and that's what I'm going to drive at this morning. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Today, in this text that was read for us, the ministry of the Word of the Lord is what stands out, and something else that stands out are the contrasting responses to that Word. In verse 42, it's these things, I've already said that. In verse 44, the whole city gathers together. Now, Paul and Barnabas didn't speak of politics or pop culture. They didn't talk about the trip they just took. They sailed on a couple of boats a few hundred miles. They went a hundred miles up into the mountains to this place they're at now, Antioch and Pisidia. They've had quite a journey. They're not talking about that. They're proclaiming the word of God to these people. Paul has been sick. He arrives here sick. He's not talking to them about that. It's not politics, it's not pop culture, it's not pop psychology, and it's not singing pop music that they're sharing with them. They didn't speak of temporal things, nor material things, nor transient things. They didn't speak of fads or fashion, fashions. They proclaimed the Word of God. They proclaimed the Word of God. The Word of God stands outside of. You got thoughts, I got thoughts, we've all got thoughts. God's words are higher. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, hey? His words carry authority. They carry weight. So whatever we do when we respond to the Word of God, we are responding to God Himself. We're responding to God Himself. If, if God speaks to you today through the proclamation of His Word or through, through the text of Scripture, you're going to be responding to God in some way with that. In verse 42 through 44, I'd like to just take these verses here and just get us started. And I'm going to speak about three reasons why our response to the word of the Lord is our response to God himself in a minute here. But It says, And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that those words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now there's a differentiate, a differ, there's two people spoken of in the King James. It's the Jews and the Gentiles. But in the original, that's not the case. It's just they. When they were gone out of the synagogue, now, it may be true that what's being spoken of there is the Jews and the Gentiles are asking the question. It's hard to say which is the case. But there are some things that we can know for sure with regard to this verse. They were asking that these things or these words would be spoken again. They heard words that they wanted to hear again. They heard words that they wanted to hear more of, that they were receptive to. We ask, what things? The word of the Lord. And we're going to look at that a little bit, the things that they heard this morning. Between verse 42 and verse 43, there's a difference here, right? As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, this is the NAS, many of the Jews of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas we're speaking to them, we're urging them to continue in the grace of God. Now, the difference there is, I think verse 42 is speaking about at the end of the meeting. 
right at the end of the meeting. In other words, we're going to be done at some point today. And if I was standing back there and you came back and said, hey, Pastor Dan, I would really like to hear more about that next week. It would be like that, right? But the second verse, verse 43 that we looked at there, I think that's during the week. They've asked them to come back next week. Now, during the week, there's people following Paul and Barnabas wanting to learn more. They are interested. They've responded to the word of the Lord with an interest. There's authority there, and there's an interest by the people who heard it to want to know more. So they spend a week of maybe some different days going to see Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas, you know, we have to ask the question there in verse 43, who's persuading whom to do what? Whom speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. I, I believe this is Paul and Barnabas. I think the... I think the language bears that out. I think the words bear that out. Paul and Barnabas are persuading those who follow them to continue in the influence of the gospel that has grabbed their attention. The gospel has grabbed their attention. They heard it, and they thought, i got to know more about that. Now, I know what that's like, because when I first started getting my mind in line with what God's Word had to say about the gospel, I couldn't get enough. I I had to hear more about that. That's where these people are. They need to know more about what it is that Paul has spoken about. So your response to the word preached is your response to God and His grace. That's another way of saying that. Their response to the word that was preached was their response to God and His grace. And it literally, in verse 43, they kept persuading them to continue in the grace of God. Verse 44, and the next Sabbath day came almost, when the next Sabbath day came, almost the whole city gathered together to hear the word of God. What a thing, eh? What a thing. It must have been some kind of sermon. I'm preaching to you right now, and I get to thinking, I'm going to preach this message. I've been thinking about this for about three weeks now. What kind of sermon did he preach that grabbed people's attention where they thought, i got to go hear more of that, and I'm bringing my friends. I'm going to tell them about it. When I tell them about it, they're going to want to hear more of that. What kind of sermon is that? It's probably a sermon worth analyzing, isn't it? It's probably a message worth taking a closer look at, and so that's what we're going to do this morning. Three things that point to why our response to the Word of the Lord is a response to God Himself. And the first one is this, if you're a note-taker and you have notes this morning, because it is of God. The Word of the Lord is just that. It is of the Lord. It is the Word of God. Now that, obviously, right? It says that. The Word of God. The preaching that Paul preached began with God. And and I, I think it's safe to say that. Solid gospel preaching should begin with God. It should begin centered on God, not centered on us. When Paul begins his sermon in Acts 13.16, look at Acts 13.16. It says, Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, Listen, excuse me, listen, give attention to, listen to, give ear to, give audience to 
what I'm about to say. That's what he's saying to them. And then verse 17, he begins with this. The God, what does he begin with? The God of this people of Israel. He begins with God. He's got something to proclaim to them. It's the word of the Lord. And the first thing he begins with, he begins with God. The God of this people of Israel. You know, Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, without having a proper reverence for the Lord, you don't have any wisdom at all. <laughs> There's no wisdom without a proper, proper reverence for God, without a proper understanding of who God is. Things that seem wise aren't that wise. It goes on to say, And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. There's no real understanding of what life is all about without some knowledge of God, of who God is. Some appropriation to or acceptance of the fact that we are standing, sitting in a world that God has created. We are His creatures, and He is the Creator. You know, every sermon so far in this book of Acts begins the same way. It begins with God. I went back and looked. On the day of Pentecost, in Acts 2.17, Peter starts preaching, and he says, uh, it is written in the prophet, prophet Joel, and then he goes on and says, God said. He begins with God. God said. In Acts 3.13, he's going to preach another message, and he, and he starts off this way. The God of Abraham and of Isaac, this is how he begins. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His Son, Jesus. He starts with God. He begins with God. In Acts 5, 29 and 30, Paul and, or not Paul, Peter and John, rather, it was Peter on the day of Pentecost. It's Peter in Acts 3, 13. It's Peter and John here in Acts 5, 29 and 30. And they're speaking to the Sanhedrin, and they say, and they say they don't want to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And what do they say to them? Their response is this: We ought to obey God rather than men. And the next thing out of his mouth is this: The God of our fathers has. And he goes on to speak about Jesus. Glorified his son Jesus. It's about something God has done. The God of Abraham and of Isaac, and of Jacob. The God of our fathers has glorified His Son, Jesus. Sorry, that was Acts 3.13. <laughs> Acts 5.29. Better will be God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus is Acts 5.30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus. In Acts 7.2, Stephen, just before getting stoned, is going to give this powerful sermon. And after he gets the people's attention, he starts this way. This is, this is his first words out of his mouth when he's about to preach. The God of glory. It's the first thing he says. The very first thing he says is that. In Acts 8.12, it says that Philip went, uh, just prior to that, Philip went preaching the word of God. And it says, it gives a little note on that. He says, but what, it says this in Acts 8.12, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. That's what Philip was preaching on. In Acts 10.34, Peter goes and he's about to speak to Cornelius in his household, and it says this in Acts 10.34, opening his mouth, Peter said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is not one to show partiality. Now, we don't have time this morning, but if we were to take each one of these instances where 
these messages begin with God, we could plumb into there and realize that each one of these people is starting off by saying something about God. And, and they're centering the message. They're centering the message they're about to give on what God has done and who God is. He doesn't begin with man. He doesn't begin with people. He doesn't begin with them. He doesn't begin with their opinions, their feelings, their thoughts, their attitudes. He begins with God. And where does that take their mind? It takes their mind outside of all this to God. And where does our mind need to go? Outside of all this to God. Because God has a word for us. And our response to the word of the Lord is our response to God himself. God has spoken. And then we come to Acts 13, 17, the God of this people, Israel. Even in Acts 17, 24, when, when uh, Paul is on Mars Hill, he begins this way. And people have this, 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 this uh, thing set up to the to an unknown God. And Paul is about to explain who that God is. And he begins this way. God who made the world and all things therein, seeing he is Lord of heaven and earth. He begins with God. Each of these sermons begins with two things, an acknowledgement that there is a God and that there is an accountability to him. If there's a God, then you are accountable to him. You're not accountable to me and my word, but you're accountable to him. And your response to the word of the Lord is your response to God himself. Not to me, not to someone sitting here, not to someone in Rome. Your response to the word of God is your response to God himself. In Acts 13, Paul summarizes, when he, when he begins this message in Acts 13, 17, the God of this people, Israel. What he's going to do, he's going to summarize their shared national history. All that follows is going to be about God and his actions in the world of men, in particular among the people of Israel with regard to God's purposes for that nation. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. And he's going to go beyond there. He's going to bring God into their here and now. And I hope this message does that for you this morning. Bring God into your very here and now. He's not just talking about stuff off in the distance, a God that's far away. He's talking about a God that is near. He's worked through history, and he's worked through history in a particular way, and he's here, he's present, he's in your midst, and he's got a word to proclaim to you, and your responsibility is to respond to that. So just, just notice what he talks about, all that God has done. In verse 17, Acts 13, 17, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers. That's something God has done. God chose our fathers. In that same verse, he made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. He's talking about God's blessings on them. God's blessings on them. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. He's talking about the power of God displayed to them and through them. He's talking about things regarding what God has done. Now you might say, oh, that's great for them. They saw the power of God. God led them out of Egypt and he, and he opened the Red Sea. What about seeing the power of God now? And I just want to share one verse with you. For each one of these points, look, there's a place we could go in the New Testament. But um, Romans 1.16 says, Paul says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God 
God has displayed His power in your day, in my day, in the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all those who believe. In, in uh, Acts 13:18, it says, for a period about 40, for a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. This speaks to God's patience with them, right? God put up with them. God chose them. He blessed them. He displayed his power through them and for them. He was patient with them. How patient has God been with you and me? Extraordinarily patient with this guy. How patient is he with you? Verse 19, he goes on to talk about the victories of God for them. God gave them Joshua to lead them. God gave them judges to deliver them in verse 20. I think in verse 21, he starts speaking about a king, Saul, and King David. I think he's reminding them when he speaks of King Saul, I think that would remind them that God is their one true king. And we need to remind, be reminded of that as well. God is the one true king, the ruler of all. He rules everything. We don't rule that much, do we? We don't rule that much. We can't control that much, can we? We just think we're kind of getting things figured out and the wheels come off the wagon, right? We just think we're kind of getting things kind of set to where maybe family life is okay and someone gets a little sideways. This is the world we live in. It's a fallen, fallen world, but God is on His throne. He speaks of David as, as the man after God's own heart. And he speaks of the testimony of God in verse 22. We're talking about responding to the Word this morning and reasons why our response to the Word of the Lord is our response to God Himself. And the first one is that very thing, that the Word of the Lord is just that. It's a Word of God. It's His Word. Now Paul has referenced all that Old Testament history. And I've already asked you, you might be asking, what does that have to do with me today? Jesus said, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. It's one consistent message and it's all pointing to Jesus. It's all pointing to Jesus. Their history is the history of what God was doing in bringing a Savior. It really is His story. And it's important for us that we see God's hand at work in our own personal history. It's important for us to recognize that. God has brought you into this place this morning. You were born somewhere. You had parents of some kind. You had a family of some kind. You had an upbringing of some kind. You're living in a certain situation right now in your life. But God has brought you into this place right where you're at this morning. The very air you're breathing, the breath I just took, is a gift from God. Jesus sustains all things by His powerful Word. Hey? He is sustaining me right now. And we need to know that. We need to know that. The world tells us that we're it. 
We're God in some way. We're the master of our own domain. (laughs) We're not. We're not. God is. The second reason why our response to the Word of God is a response to God Himself is because it is a word from God. The Word of the Lord is a message that is from God. It's a message of salvation. He says as much in verse 23, Of this man's seed hath God, according to His promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. It's a message of salvation, a Savior that God has sent, and that Savior is Jesus. There's not another. That says a mouthful. God sent a Savior means you need saving. And you need to hear that from God. This is God's Word, not mine. Because God sent a Savior, I can tell you with authority that you need saving if you've not trusted Jesus as your Savior. You need to be saved. You need to trust Jesus. Because a judgment is coming. And if you stand before God and God says, why should I let you into my heaven? And if you have anything to say to Him other than because of Christ's righteousness, because I've trusted in Jesus, anything other than that. If you say, well, I went to church that one day and I was good to my family and I tithed and I gave to this and I did this and I was better than the guy next door, none of that is going to matter before a holy God because we have no righteousness before Him. His standard is perfection and we don't meet that standard. None of us do. Only Jesus did. Because the word of the Lord is a message from God, our response to that word is our response to God Himself. And if you hear that there's this one Jesus who was sent, who is a Savior, and you say, yeah, I've heard about that before. You're not responding to me. You're not responding to your best friend about that. You're responding to God Himself. You're saying, God, I don't need that. In verse 26, Paul's words are directed back to his listeners and he makes the connection for them and to them with regard to their responsibility being before God. He says in verse 26, Brothers, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, you people who think you have a relationship with God or you're yearning for a relationship with God, it is to us this message of salvation has been sent. It's a message of salvation. These people who are religious people who were God-fearing people, needed salvation. They were in need of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And he appeals to them on the basis of faith. When he mentions Abraham, Abraham is the man of faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's That's how we are saved? No. We believe what God has said about His Son. And we are clothed in His righteousness. We don't need our own. We have His. Our own is worthless. Look, this is a convincing message. He uses Old Testament scriptures to validate the message. You might have gotten off track. I haven't. I've been thinking about this for a while. I'm wondering what makes this message so powerful. And the one thing that makes it so powerful is that very thing that he says that this is a message about God. He starts with God. And it's a message from God. And he's validating that message using Old Testament scriptures. In verses 33 through 35, we're not going to look at all them, but it's a convincing message based on that. You could look at Old Testament scriptures. We could we could spend we could just spend the rest of our time till, from now until after the time of evening service 
just going around the room talking about Old Testament scriptures that prophesy of the coming of Jesus. We looked at one this morning from Micah 5.2 where Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. A backwoods, nowhere place, right? What, what year was, what was Micah written? 640 years before Jesus was born, his birthplace was prophesied. That just one. We could spend the rest of our day just talking about those things and rejoicing in the fact that God's word is true. It's a convincing message. It's a convicting message. It's a convicting message because what Paul preaches is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that in some way has become your salvation. That's God's message to you. That's God's message to me. Someone had to die in my place, was buried, and rose again that I might have life. That's a convicting message. He preaches of their great need. He preaches the forgiveness of sins. He says the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That's a convicting message. Someone's got to stop for a second and think, the forgiveness of sins, you're saying I'm a sinner? Yeah, that's right. That's God's word to you. And I can say that with the authority of God's word, you're a sinner. What are you going to do with it? You need saving. Me too. If you haven't trusted Jesus, you can trust Him today. It's an inclusive and conclusive message. Verse 39. We haven't looked at the Scripture here for a minute. Verse 39. And through Him, everyone who believes is freed from all the things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. And through Him... Let me read 38. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren... Let it be known to you that through Him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through Him everyone who believes is freed from all the things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. You can't work your way to heaven, is what he's saying. There's freedom in Christ, and it's for everyone who will believe. That's an inclusive message to everyone who would believe. Salvation to the ends of the earth. Part of verse 47 that was read for us this morning. And it's a conclusive message. Everyone who believes is justified. It's conclusive. It's a done deal. That's to render innocent, righteous before God, justified by God, to set free. It's a definite end to our enmity with God. If you have not experienced that, let me tell you, friend, you're missing out. I can remember the day I first experienced that and that enmity was gone. The rejoicing in my soul is indescribable. And I could spend some time talking about that, but it was, it was whew, freedom. Freedom. Free from guilt, free from shame, free to talk about Jesus and what He's done. Our response to the word of the Lord is our response to God himself. The third thing I'd like to talk about with regard to that is our response to God because this demands a response. And this is the verses that was read for us and we're going to spend the rest of our time. 
verse 40. Now we'll pick it up at verse 44. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. They had an interest in this. And for, for good reason. This, th- there's nothing more personal than this. Where you're going to spend eternity? No one else can save you other than Jesus. No one else can usher you into heaven other than Jesus. There's no other way to be right with God than through faith in Christ. There's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. The whole city assembled to hear, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. What a thing. Here's people that have set aside everything else in their life to hear the most important thing. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy or envy, your text might say, and began contradicting contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. What we're about to look at is two contradictory or contrasting responses to the word of the Lord. Here are people that are filled with envy and so they are rejecting what was spoken. That's the saddest thing ever. They haven't thought their way to this. They haven't made it like an intellectual connection and thought, yeah, I don't buy that because. They don't have a theological point of view. It's just envy. I don't like the fact that Paul and Barnabas have all the people interested in the thing they're preaching. So I ain't buying it. What a sad thing, eh? There's other things like that, just sad things that keep people from, from allowing God to deal with them with regard to their sin. So these contrasts are here. They're filled with jealousy. In verse 48, look at the contrast. The Gentiles are filled with joy. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. So they are contradicting the word of the Lord, the Jews, were filled with envy. And the Gentiles are rejoicing and glorifying, honoring the word of the Lord. They're honoring the word of the Lord. They believed. They've judged themselves unworthy of salvation. Paul and Barnabas, wait a minute before that. Yeah, 46. Uh, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Well, why to them first? Because the Jews were to be what it says in verse 47. I've placed you as a light for the Gentiles. I think that's actually Paul speaking about himself because the Jews weren't living up to that expectation, which we talked about in Sunday school as well. But since you repudiated and judge yourselves unworthy, they have placed themselves outside of the blessings of God. They've placed themselves there. That was their response to God himself. They placed themselves, judged themselves unworthy. And by contrast, verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord as many as have been appointed to eternal life believe. This word appointed would mean to be um, arranged as like in a military order. It, this implies the disposition of their mind, not some appointment by God from before time began. 
This is the disposition of their mind. Luke is not confused about the contrast he's setting before his reader. The contrast is just simple, hey? There are those that are that were glorifying the word of the Lord, and because they glorified the word of the Lord, they have been appointed to eternal life and believe. And there are those that are rejecting or contradicting the things spoken because of just ridiculous, silly reasons. How, how, how many silly things get in the way, get in your way of moving forward with the Lord? Are there silly things? And as believers, how many silly things, and believers you know, how many things get in your way of following through with what the Lord would have you do? How often does that happen? Just silly things. Envy, sees egos, just ridiculous, yuck that we need to be done with, right? Again, Luke is not confused about his intent to show the contrast between those who reject and those who receive the truth. The word appointed there refers not to an act of God in eternity past, but to the influences of God on their heart in their here and now. The word appointed means to place or to set in order. They were set in order. They... Because of the week prior, they had heard the word and they responded positively. Talking to you this morning about why our response to the word of the Lord is our response to God himself. And there may be someone here that is yet to trust Jesus as your Savior. You know, you can, you can do business with God sitting right where you're at. You can say, Lord, forgive me. I've heard this message. I've heard it before. I've rejected it. I've done something else with it. I know it's you speaking to me about these things, but Lord, I want to do business with you now. I want you to do business with me. I trust what Jesus has done. You can do that sitting right where you're at. And if you do, I want to encourage you to tell someone. One group decided themselves, decided for themselves that they were not deserving of eternal life. God did not preordain their damnation. Through the sin of unbelief, based on the silliest things. This life is short. Really short. Cindy and I have been married 37 years. It's gone by like that. Just like that. Poof. I was talking to a guy at a plant uh, yesterday, the day before, not yesterday, a couple days ago. It, he mentioned something that just had me thinking about that again, how, how fast things go by. The next 15, 20 years, it's going to go by like that. You could do business with the Lord today. In verse 49, and the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. You see, this is all about the word of the Lord and people's response to it. It was spreading through the whole region. And here, here's another response. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated the persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. They were against the word of God. They were against God himself. They were fighting against God. You know, you can do that through your entire life and die doing that your entire life. But when you stand before God, there's going to be there's going to be no fighting. 
Verse 51. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. This is them saying, your guilt for your unbelief is not on us. We proclaim the word. This is not on us. You responded how you responded. We did our job. Our job was to proclaim the word. And you rejected it. Verse 52, And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And here's a contrast of immense proportions. You know, they don't preach a prosperity, health, wealth, prosperity gospel. Paul and Barnabas don't do that. If I ask the question, uh, I think tonight when we look at Psalm 63, I'm going to ask the question and, and ask for some responses. When you came to faith in Christ, did all your problems go away? No, we just got new ones, right? We're going to talk about maybe what some of those things are. But we gained so much more. We gained so much more in Christ. Here they are persecuted, chased out of town, and we see them filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And these people that are against the word of the Lord, and their response is, God, I'm against you. They're not filled with that at all. They're filled with something else. So we got to close here. Close with this one thought. The Word of God demands a response. Sometimes that response can be, these aren't my words, these are someone else's. Jealousy or joy, belief or blasphemy, a spirit of holiness or a spirit of persecution. These are my words. Whatever your response is, it's a response to God Himself. You're not responding to this default standing up here. You're responding to God Himself when you respond to this Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Father, I pray if there's someone in this place this morning that is yet to trust Jesus, maybe today would be that day. They'd surrender whatever silly thing they're holding on to and trust Jesus as their Savior. You sent a Savior because we needed one, Lord. Thank you that you sent the perfect Savior in your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.